Hey, this is Brian Barney, and you're listening to Eastman's Elevated. Um, so I talked about it a little bit on the last podcast, but we got the the merge and the partnership all done. So uh, we're now officially Eastman's Elevated. Um, so so make sure to drop them a line if you like what you're hearing on here and like what you're hearing on the podcast. Make sure to let them know and and uh, let them know you like the content we're putting out there. Um, so this month at Eastman's, we've got the Gear Guide going on. Uh, Gear Guide was in your last magazine. Uh, we got a bunch of subscription deals and, and video deals, stocking stuffers, uh, a bunch of cool logo gear. So check that out. You can also get to it on the website, uh, Eastman's website, um, and then click on the banner up at the top. Um, so this week uh, we have on uh, Travis uh, Nowotny. Now I've been trying to get Travis on. We have just battled technical issues. So um, he's, you know, we tried to do it, um, getting him a mic for his computer, and and uh, couldn't get the the mics to work. So we had a couple failed attempts there. You know, finally I uh, we just got it downloaded on his phone. I said, just call me on your phone, and and we'll record this thing. And so. Um, I had the biggest mistake a podcaster could make. We went through all this to get everything right, and then we laid down just an awesome podcast. And I got done with it, and I went to edit it, and there was no podcast recorded. <laughs> oh my god! So it's just your worst fear as a podcaster. Um, you know, maybe I double clicked the record button or forgot to click it. You know, as we were figuring everything out, I don't know what happened, but um, you just feel about an inch tall and. So I had to call Travis back and say, man, that was a really good podcast. Hey, by the way, I didn't get it recorded. <laughs> it just, just felt like the biggest heel, but uh, he was really good about it. He, they, you know, he said it was no big deal, which I'm sure it was a little bigger than that, but he's, he was just uh, 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 real cordial about the whole thing and said, yep, yeah, we'll just do it again tonight. And so uh, we laid down another podcast. We talked about a lot of the, you know, a few of the same things and then just got into different topics. But um, Travis Nowotny is just a killer, man. And he's all public land, all self-guided figure it out i mean uh he's got that same blood running through our veins uh, through his veins than we, that we do um so i'm just super excited to have guys like this on the podcast that are consistently successful and and uh we really got into the technical side of hunting and stalking and and different scenarios and and it's it just a, a whole bunch of good information in this podcast um i oh and, and then uh so so we got the podcast i did record it this time uh so i hit the record button and then in the middle of the podcast 30 minutes in or so my internet cut out totally disconnect from travis and then so kind of lost our train of thought there but you'll you'll hear in the middle where it kind of cuts out and we we pick right back up where we left off and and so we did get the whole podcast recorded but man oh man i uh i've had some technical issues fighting me here but you know just like anything you just you'll learn from experience and i guess i had to had to mess up recording, you know, eventually and then and then learn from it. And I only learned things the hard way, but uh, did finally get it recorded. Awesome information on here. You guys are really going to like it. Um, so, yeah, we'll just get this thing rolling. I got you. Oh, good deal. Uh, how are things going? They're going good. Good. Just working away, trying to get to the weekend, huh? That's it. Just yeah. working for the weekend. <laughs> for sure you got um three-day weekend coming up for hunting your muley tag there in idaho huh yep and uh we've been getting we got a good amount of snow and we're supposed to get snow pretty good amount tomorrow and then i think it's supposed to quit so it should be make for a really good hunt i think 
talking to some guys that live up in that country a lot of deer have been pushing out of the high country down into my unit so it should be good oh man that's exciting well you've had pretty good hunting already and on some good bucks but um nothing like snow to push them and get them migrating on these late season hunts yep for sure yep how cold is it getting you think that snow is going to be crunchy uh yeah probably today i think Man, when I got off work, I looked in my pickup, and it was 23 out, so didn't get too warm today. Yeah, boy, that's pretty cold. Um, <laughs> yeah, you got to uh, make sure you got your boots and your gloves on for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that tough thing about snow. I know we've talked about it before, is that snow, it moves all those deer, but um, yeah, it gets crunchy where it gets tough to stalk in, so that's where you'd implement, like... Um, you'd set up like close to a buck or you'd get in striking distance right and then kind of wait for him to make a mistake yeah i think that's that's uh would definitely be a good idea to get in and you know to make the final leg of the stalk in that crunchy snow i just think it's going to be pretty difficult but you know another option would be wait until you know if it wasn't cold all day if you know, it was able to heat up a little bit and the snow softened up or put on a pair of my stocking shoes just to muffle the sound that much better. So, Oh, man. Um, yeah, you got me a pair of those stocking shoes. I am so psyched on those things. It was such a uh, so it filled such a great niche in the hunting community. So you made the stocking shoes, Rimrock stalkers, and um, you hit me up and told me that you were coming out with a pair and coming out with a pair on market. And so instantly had me talked into them. But they're as quiet as a as a wool sock, but your feet don't slip around in them. Um, man, your design. I like how how long have you been working on the design of these things? Uh, it's a, about three years. I mean, from the original prototype, um, I actually got together with one of my friend's moms, uh, Maria held, uh, she kind of just, uh, did it for a hobby. So I told her what I wanted to do and we kind of came up with the first design and then we'd, I actually would just keep modifying the same pair until, you know, I, I thought I got it pretty figured out. So. Oh man, um, well, totally professional now. They don't look like um, uh, so you made the prototype, and now you've got somebody producing them because they're really well made. All the seams are done professionally. I mean, it um, they look really good. So what it is is it's like um, it's uh, is it a cordera cordura outer shell like a really good fabric on the outside. What is the fabric on the outside? Um, it, it's it's an outdoor fabric that's uh, just water resistant. It's it's just a super quiet. Like if you were to put it under the sink, water would just bead right, right off of it. And then on the inside, it's like a soft shell fleece. So, um, and then the bottom, it's actually five layers. It's soft shell fleece on the bottom with a backer, and then it's got um, 500 cordura sandwiched in between another layer of soft shell fleece and backer. Um, and that that uh, inner that inner material there is just to protect you from, you know, goat heads or cactus spines or that kind of thing, you know, and really just helps dull any kind of sharp object. So, yeah, that's totally it. Your feet hurt so bad when you're stalking around in wool socks. And these are just like a, a level above that where it gives you protection on your feet, but you still have that connection and feel. And then it's like 
fleece on the bottom of it, and then I think the the coolest thing with them is that you can lace them to your feet, and so they everything laces up and zippers tight, and so now you can use them to stock stock in steep terrain where you know wool socks your feet slip from the wool sock, and so you can't get the grip once you get past a. 30 40 degree slope or it gets downright dangerous you know and they slip on grass but these things are made for the high country and i i know they help me this season be totally silent i'm i'm pumped on them i can't wait to to use them in the late season and see what they do in the snow in fact i should test them around the house here in the snow just to see how they how they operate and what they do but man what a great product well thank you yeah that's that was the biggest push for it you know i think a wool sock has always worked great and they're super quiet but I just think the need for stocking in steep country and having, you know, you'd get away from the rollaway effect, and that way um, they just suck tight to your foot, and you can really precisely pick your way through whatever kind of obstacles you need to. And, you know, another point is, uh, you know, how many times do you take off after a buck or a bull and you're in your socks, and then you end up a mile and a half away from your pack, you know, because the the bull decides he's going to get up and and head towards the timber, or that buck decides to move his bed, and you're playing cat and mouse. You know, you don't want to break away from the stock and go back to your pack to get your boots, you know, because that's always in the back of your mind. But that's what was kind of the direction I was headed with that. So, oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, you so you can. You can keep moving with the herd. You throw your packs, uh, throw your boots in your pack, and then you've got your stocking shoes on. And like an elk herd, where you may be stalking for a mile or two, you can just stalk in those things because they've got more padding um, and more durable, and like you say, protect you a little bit more. Um, man, I'm just psyched on these things, and I, I bet in the last three years, I mean, you've you've done nothing but kill big animals the last three years and the last ten, really. I mean, your your social media is just filled with giant bucks that you've killed and bulls and antelope and everything else. Um, super accomplished hunter, but uh, what a great product for us Western bow hunters. That thing's just perfect. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm uh I'm very glad I brought them to market. I think. You know, I was a little hesitant at first, but it's good to see the need for them. You know, there's obviously uh, a void to fill there. So, Yeah, for sure. Um, so you'll use your stocking feet on this late season hunt. Um, wear like a extra pair of wool socks underneath them for warmth or something like that? That's exactly right. You know, that my first intentions weren't to have a late season stalker, but, you know, it definitely muffles the sound over a pair of boots. So it's... It's definitely an improvement. Oh, I bet. Yeah, in the snow, like you say, I think they were meant for the early season mule deer, right, where we've got to be so quiet and the stalks are so precise and so slow where you're picking every footstep. But then all of a sudden they work so good that it's like, why wouldn't you use them for everything else? You know, they work for high country mule deer. Well, now I'm going to use them for elk and now I'm going to use them for late season deer. So, yeah, they just keep uh, adapting and evolving into different hunts, I'm sure, as they do for me, too. Yep, that's that's exactly it. So. Yep. So when you're um, so when you're getting ready to stock, you throw these things on, um, you know, a couple hundred yards. Do you throw them on when you begin your stock? Where do you decide to set down your stuff? Throw on your stocking shoes, and then do you ditch your pack most of the time, or do you keep it with you? Um, most well, I guess it depends. If I was on a day hunt, I might I might pack my my backpack just because it's smaller, you know. 
but if, if I'm on a bivy hunt where I'm packing gear and that kind of thing, a lot of times I'll I'll drop my pack just just so if I got to get down and crawl, which you know it seems like most of the time I am, um, you can really be hidden that way and not have your pack sticking up and be awkward and make noise and you sure seem like you can shoot your bow a lot better outside of a pack but as far as when i put my stock and shoes on um you know i think it really just depends on the terrain but i i would say the biggest thing for me is where you know i drop my pack and throw on my stalkers is when i think there's a possibility of the buck um you know about the time i go into super stealth mode you know the time that you're really going to be quiet that's when i put them on so i'll put them on you know, most of the time it's probably in that 200 to 150 yard range. Yep, that sounds about exactly like me. Like sometimes I'll stalk with my pack, and it seems like elk I'll hunt with my pack quite a bit more than deer. But even once I get into that last little stealth mode, that's about when I'm going to put them on to, where I'm going to set up for the stalk or set up for the kill. Most of the time I like to ditch my pack because, like you say, you're just um, – it, you're so much more nimble and athletic without your pack on. You can get lower in those folds, and um, you just feel a lot sneakier once you get the pack off, get your stocking shoes on, and then you know I'll throw you know maybe my headlamp in my pocket, my knife in my pocket. You know if it's that early high country mule deer, I'll throw you know sometimes I'll even throw some granola mix, and then I've got like a little 10 ounce water bottle. And it's like a, a trail runner's water bottle, and it seals, and I'll throw that in my pocket as well. Because some of those early high country mule deer, sometimes you're waiting for you know four hours, five hours for them to stand up and give you a shot. Or sometimes you just get like that little bit of dry grass in your throat. Have you ever got that? Why does that always happen when you're stalking a giant buck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're trying you're trying not to cough, and you're in bow range. <laughs> yeah, right. That's just the worst. And so if you've got that little bottle of water. It seems like if you can just take a sip of that, sometimes that gets rid of, gets rid of that dry throat, you know, where you don't feel like you got a cough when you're inside 50 yards on a 200-inch deer. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you made a good point there, as far as uh, you know. You said that you know a lot of times when you're you're hunting elk, you'll stalk with your backpack. You know, the elk just seem to move so much more and cover so much ground. It's really hard to ditch your pack and then next thing you know it you're two miles from your pack and then you got to peel away from the elk herd about the time you know you could you could push a little harder and cut them off or something you know so i think you know keeping your pack with you on an elk hunt a lot of times is probably the better choice yeah, that's uh, that's right. So you do, I mean, me and you both love that early season mule deer, and if we had to pick a species to hunt, it'd probably be mule deer, but um, we like all opportunities, you know. I love hunting elk during the elk ride. As I, as I know you do, too, you did um, two elk hunts this year, right? You did a Montana hunt and then an elk hunt for elk? Yep. Uh, you know, my elk hunting is usually when I'm done deer hunting, but it's I'm definitely not going to skip a year. So, you know, like here in Idaho, I can hunt. You know, they have the late season hunts and then the early season hunt. So the first season, the first 10 days of September, you know, I'm trying to punch my deer tag. And then if not, I'll switch gears and, and turn to elk, to elk hunting, knowing that 
you know, I can I can still hunt late season mule deer, so I still have an option to to punch my tag. So yeah, that's exactly like me. Like I say, I love to hunt early season mule deer. We just have such a good advantage to hunt them in that early season, that late August, early September. Um, you know, where their guards down and they've got a lax attitude. They're focused on feeding. They stay out a little bit longer, bed in open terrain. They just live in that high country, and so that's what I try to do too. Is I focus on them and I. I love hunting them and train all year for them, but once it turns to about the 10th or 15th of September, my mind switches to elk, and that's the only thing I want to do. And and there's nothing more thrilling or exciting than hunting those elk during the rut when they're talking and chasing cows. I just absolutely love that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yep, you killed a nice bull in Idaho this year, right? Close on your Montana bull? I did, yeah. Um, You know, actually, I punched my Idaho deer tag pretty early I think it was like day two and uh so I really thought it would be a a good year to hold out and really try and kill one of those 350 type bulls you know and you know because I see him every year and it's just it's one of those things I I if I had more time if I had more time you know and as the season went on you know I hunted and hunted and I passed up bulls and I had a miss on a bull I I actually called this bull in and he was a super nice bull, and uh, I actually had my friend Austin Atkinson. He was right behind me um, with a video camera, but this I called this bull in, and he comes up, and I mean, it's just that he stops 25 yards chip shot, and I let loose, and I'm thinking this bull's going to tip over. He runs out, you know, and I'm, I, I knew something was off a little bit, because as soon as I shot, like, I... I didn't see my arrow hit and it just made this big noise. Well, bull runs off. Long story short, I looked down and literally like three feet out of my bow, I hit a branch that I didn't see. You know, I, I, there was a little jack pine right in front of me that had been raked by another bull. And I, I was on my knees, which was kind of, I should have just stood, but anyway, so I blew that opportunity and I hunted hard and it, it finally came down to, um, it was my last day, my absolute last day. And, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of time was wasted because a couple of the spots that I really like to hunt early in the year, they didn't pan out. You know, I mean, there's normally just a ton of elk and a ton of bulls and a ton of rut activity. And I literally couldn't even find an elk. So it was really, um, you know, I was going to backup plan after backup plan after backup plan, you know, so I was really hunting hard in unfamiliar country, so it just made it that much tougher. But uh, anyway, I'd, I'd whittled it down to the last day, like I said, and it was I finally got a good bull that had bedded down in the sagebrush uh, with a couple cows, and I uh, I circled the canyon and I came up from above the bull, and the wind was right and everything, and I just stalked in just like i would a mule deer you know i just kept creeping forward and i was i kind of thought that they had left and about the time that i thought that i should be seeing him i saw his antler sticking up out of the sagebrush and i slipped in there and i got 59 yards and i stopped at 59 yards because i noticed that the cows were half that distance so you know (laughs) the cows were about 25 30 yards and i was like oh crap you know because they had moved from where they were and I was like, I, I just got to stay put and and hope for the best. So I sat down, I got an arrow knocked, and I ranged the, well, you know, I ranged the bull and everything ahead of time, and he was 59 yards. And 
anyway, as I was sitting there, I'd only been there 10 minutes, um, the wind started to get a little shifty. And I'm like, oh, crap, I, I don't want to play this game because if this bull smells me, he's gone. So I stood up, I came to full draw, and I had a cow call in my mouth. And I just started whining to him a little bit with the cow call. And he turns up, and as he hits his feet, I'd already punched it loose, and I just smoked this bull right tight to the shoulder. And he ran over the hill, and the cows ran with him. And I saw the cows go out the top, you know, two minutes later, because it was quite a big canyon, but the bull didn't come out. And anyway, I, I never did see him go down or anything. And I actually went down, and I couldn't find my arrow. Um, I don't know what the heck happened to it, and I couldn't find any blood either. So I kind of just started walking in the direction that I thought that elk had went. And anyway, I, I saw his antler sticking up by the sagebrush there, and I was pretty stoked because it was my last day, and I killed this bull at like 2 o'clock in the afternoons. So it was – it was uh, I was pretty proud of that bull. So Yeah, man, good for you. That's awesome. Um yeah, there's uh, so many questions I want to ask, but yeah, no, that was a beautiful seven point. I didn't know that that was a, a last day bowl. Um, yeah. Yeah, how crazy, you know, sometimes being like a backcountry bow hunter or a public land bow hunter, um, you know, our biggest asset is just perseverance, right? Just going out day after day, picking yourself up after a miss. And, and you know, I, I think it's really good that you're honest and forthcoming about your miss because you're such a successful bow hunter. And a lot of guys don't like to tell you about when they miss a bull or when they miss a big buck, but we all missed. And, and that's, I try to be really honest about my misses too, just so guys understand that, that failure is a, is a part of bow hunting. And, and even how much you practice is, I know you practice nonstop diligently and that was a slam dunk shot for you. It's like those little things get get in your way, like a limb you didn't see or a missed range was my problem this year. It's work on my ranging game, but um, man, it's just about picking yourself up after a miss. And the quicker you can do it and get your mind right again, because instantly your mind tells you, you know, you want to be down and go, gosh, I finally earned an opportunity. I've been working 10 days or 12 days for this just to get close. It finally happened, and it screwed up. I didn't get them. And so you'll almost get in this downer depression-like state where you don't even feel like going anymore. You figure, well, that's my season. I messed it up. But the quicker you can get over that and start pushing again and getting in country, and like you, covering covering different and new spots, couldn't find them in your old honey holes, just things change or maybe it's a weird year but that that's a, a a really good lesson learned and and successful bow hunters you know the the, the biggest thing we have in common is, is perseverance we just keep going yep i i absolutely agree you know i think being persistent and being able to adapt was probably you know my biggest asset on that hunt you know the funny thing is <laughs> i you know when I called that bull in, the bull that I missed, I I knew better. So I sat down in front of this little tree that was raked by another bull, right in, and the, this tree was right in front of me. And actually, as the bull was coming in, I was trying to crawl away from it because I knew it would be a problem. And then what <laughs> happened? Then it literally, my worst nightmare, and I'm like, I knew better. Like, when I sat down, I told myself I should move. You know, I've I've learned from previous experiences, don't ever put, don't get anything in your way. You know, set up in front of a tree, don't set up behind one. You know, I mean, 
you feel like, especially elk hunting, when you're calling them, a lot of times you feel like you need to hide, you know, and you don't really need to hide. You just need to pick a good spot maybe in, in the shadow or off to, you know, in front of some something that's going to obstruct your outline and just be still, you know. They, they never see you. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's totally – I I hate it when I make a mistake and I know better. When I push a stalk and I, I know that the wind's wrong or the wind's shifty, or I just hate when I make a mistake and I know better and I know it's going to bite me and then it happens. God, that's when I just I just kick myself, you know, but it, it happens to all of us. Yeah, I was, I was kicking myself bad because I – when I sat down, I saw that tree, and I'm like, I, I should, I need to, I need to move. And like I said, as the bull was coming, because we didn't realize he would turn and just come right then, he didn't act like he wanted to respond. And I looked at Austin, I said, just follow me. So I literally, I dropped down, and he was about at this time, he's probably 150 yards away, and we literally ran probably 80 yards and just hunkered down and popped up, and I knew I just fired off a bugle and it, that was it he was coming i had already broke that barrier and that was enough you know and he, he was just coming so i'm just as he's coming i'm trying to crawl away from that tree just knowing it was gonna bite me and it did and then <laughs> it makes it it makes for uh a you know a long walk back to the truck after you've you know, you should have been done. <laughs> well, and you got it all on film. You feel like you let your cameraman down. Just the whole deal sucks, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah, I had a couple misses on film this year too. Um, but uh, yeah, and like you say, you start crawling away, but you you almost start to learn with this western hunting what you can get away with and what you can't and once you can see them you're right these animals pick up on movement and so you're trying to crawl away from it but pretty soon i can just almost see this bull coming up the ridge and pretty soon you've just yep. got to freeze and set up for your shot there's no more time to move your time to move was a couple minutes ago, or you know 30 yep. seconds ago or whatever it was you know that was absolutely it i saw his antlers coming and i said i better sit tight or this bull's gonna pick me off and whirl you know yeah, and um, like you say, um, animals pick up on movement far more than they pick up on camel patterns. I mean, I like camel patterns that are light-colored and, and break up your outline, but I hunt a lot of time in, in solid colors. You know, I've just realized over the years that animals pick up on movement far more than the camel pattern, and if you can choose when you move and not never move reckless when an animal can see you or can pick you out because they pick up that movement just like the snap of a finger – this minute you move, that's what they key in on, and then they stare at you and they wait for you to move again. But if you can get good at, at you know, moving really slow, um, you know, and then being still when you've got an animal looking at you, they, they just don't pick you out. And the the other good thing you said is setting up in the shadows. The shadows hide you so well. Oh yeah, I, I absolutely agree there. And you know, uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Yeah, no worries, but um, yeah, I just like they they just pick up on movement and even like I like to be really patient when I'm shooting at an animal. My favorite way to shoot is when they're looking away or when they're feeding or when they're distracted, and then I'll draw my bow and I'll come to anchor and and shoot them. If you can be patient, wait till then. But 
it, even, you know, sometimes it isn't going to happen that way in that deer's going to be looking at you and it's broadside and he's getting ready to bust out. You know, he knows something's wrong or that bull's looking at you broadside. It's your one chance. If you just move slow, like the hands of a clock right then, you know, you get up your bow, draw just ultra slow, just all your movement really slows down. Sometimes they'll just let you get away with that little bit of movement. Of course, you know, the best case scenario is to, to have him never see you and, and be able to put a perfect arrow, but it just doesn't work that way. You know, the deer and elk have such an advantage um you know they they're used to dodging mountain lions and everything else and and hunters and you know getting inside that bow range i mean they're on edge sometimes they pick you out but i just like to move really slow wouldn't you agree don't you like to move slow like that in the final execution oh yeah just slow and deliberate and that's that's actually what i was thinking when i lost my train of thought there was you know that's one of the reasons especially mule deer i like to hunt pretty open country because if you can see your target and you can really pay attention to the animal's mannerism, you know, um, you can really stop. You can really get away with a lot when you can watch the buck. You know, you can tell, you know, uh, if he's chewing his cut, he's relaxed. You know, if he's got his ears pinned forward, you know, that kind of thing. And you can just just move slow and deliberate. You know, you don't always need something to hide behind. I think just just not letting them pick up on your movement is everything so yeah i'm with you um you know i hunt all different trains but i love to hunt open country for deer and like where you killed your elk i love to hunt open country where i can see my target exact positions and maybe i can't see them all the time but it sure is an advantage when you can see them all the time you know and and the elk their horns are just like a beacon up there and you can almost read their horns you know you can tell if their horns are pointed right at you and they're not moving you know a lot of times that's telling you those bulls are on high alert it's time to stop moving and and a lot of times you got to take 20 minutes off your stock or 30 minutes off your stock and just not move because that animal is on edge waiting for just one more blade of grass to move or one more little limb to snap and he's gone you know so so a lot of times yeah like you're saying reading the mannerisms in in like bucks you know or, or even bulls for that matter if you can see them in their feeding you know they're not on high alert and that's your time to just keep creeping in and creeping in and then when they pick their head up and look around then it's time to freeze Yep, that's exactly. Yep, I love hunting bears that way too. Um, I do uh, spring spot and stock bears, as I know you did too. You you killed a nice spring bear this year with your bow, like on opening day or something. I was like, man, oh man, yeah, you had your spot dialed in. But I love <laughs> to keep tabs on bears, and bears are, you know, uh, they can they can pick up movement really well, but but they're pretty nearsighted, and so I have stalked so many bears in the middle of a wide open meadow. It's like hunting a bear on a golf course, and you're trying to get to 40 yards of them. But as long as you keep an eye on them and they keep their head down moving, if you just freeze when they pick up, they'll go right back to feeding, I've found. Yep. The only thing with bears is they have super good hearing, though. Oh, so, they do, too. You know, besides that, it's kind of funny how they just, they'll move their head side to side like they're looking at you. you know, you're just, just sitting there frozen, and they'll just put their head back down and get to feeding. But, man, one, one little twig breaks, and it is over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, and, and it's dangerous game, but uh, a bear, at the first twig snap, he runs quicker than a whitetail can. He's clearing the country. Those things are scaredy cats, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, don't, they don't like hearing something that they don't know what it is. 
Yeah, and the the wind, of course, you know, a deer and elk can wind you, and it's a that's a main thing when I'm stalking is if you can eliminate that wind, you know, how many times do you get busted? And you can't eliminate it totally, you know, like you say, winds shift and winds swirl around. But I love to hunt game like on a dominant wind side where you have the directional winds working on a dominant wind side with the thermals where you can just eliminate the wind and go, okay, I got good wind, or you know, uh, if it's at night or early morning, you got you know uh, uh thermals pulling down the draw but just the more the more of those things you can eliminate like the wind and, and sound you know you know, sound it's all about knowing when to slow down and how much to slow down and sometimes you get noisy terrain sometimes it can't be controlled but really it's all about your footfalls it's all about just really slowing down picking where your feet are falling and just making sure that you're not making excess noise or you always have like this internal voice in your head that's telling you hurry up and get there and you see if he's still there hurry up and it's like right at the end of your stock when you need to be going the slowest and you got to really fight that urge and slow down and try to put as many of those variables on your side as you can yep i, I it's funny that urge it, it it's like you've worked so hard to get within almost bow range and, and you're almost there and like you say i don't know how many times i've experienced that same thing where you just want to go faster because you want to get it done but that's the time just like you say you that's when you really need to pay attention you, you need to make sure that you know if you can hear yourself stepping then you're too loud you know you shouldn't hear yourself so yeah exactly um no you're you're right i don't know how many animals i busted right there in those final moments where it's like I, I, he should still be in that bed, but it's like I just want to hurry up and get there. You know, I I don't know what that urge is. I don't know if that's just the excitement getting to you or what. But um, yeah, so important. Like uh, the closer you get, the slower you need to move, more deliberate you need to move. Yep. But yeah, and those mule deer. A lot of times, I like to stalk them. You know, I'll see them bed in their morning bed. Sometimes I'll even watch them till their afternoon bed because those mule deer have such big ears. Um, I like to use those directional winds to my advantage. The winds muffle your noise so much, and it seems to get more consistent, you know, in that midday. So a lot of times I'll let that bed, that buck bed in his first bed in the morning at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and I'll hold off to stalking, and I'll just watch him for an hour or two, and I'll let him change beds to a more afternoon bed. And by then, it seems like the winds are blowing a little bit harder, and the wind seems to mess with their hearing, with their ears. They've got those big ears, and it just seems to cover more of that sound. But it is so tough to stalk a buck when it's totally still out. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you there, especially mule deer. Like, you, you don't want too much wind because you don't want it to affect your shot, but a wind is one of the biggest keys, I think, to killing mule deer and being able to slip up on them, you know. And just like you say, if you wait a little later in the day, it seems like that buck's a little more tired, too. It always seems like in the morning they're a little more alert. But once it starts to get, you know, 10 o'clock and beyond, you know, that's when you catch them nodding off with their, their antlers. They're just sitting there flicking their ears, you know. And, man, it just it, I absolutely agree that I think that's just a much better time, you know. Yeah, you're right. Versus taking off after a buck and having the, him be more alert for one, not having consistent winds because the wind it seems like as the thermals are changing and you know the valley floor is heating up, it's just that much more to go wrong. So 
Man, you're so right. Um, and you're right about like in that after afternoon where they seem to get almost mad working against us. Uh, it kind of cut out there in the middle of our recording. Um, but I got everything saved and got everything back up online. I just had to restart things. I think I lost my internet there or something. <laughs> yeah, them technical difficulties seem to get us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've had a real problem getting this done, getting things recorded. Now that was in the in the middle of our recording, but no worries. I got it uh got it recorded and then it's recording again here, so we'll just I'll just have to do some fancy editing, which will I'll probably be pulling my hair out, but we're back online, so <laughs> Um, well, yeah, we kind of lost our train of thought, but we were we were just talking about mule deer closing in, and you just made a really good point about those deer's guard being down in the in the middle of the day. Um, and you're right, as it gets later in the day, that's when they do their do their sleeping or when they're not so alert, looking for dan- danger. They get like almost lulled into into not paying as much attention. It seems like, and that's when you want to strike. Yep, I I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and and it seems like it's just experience teaches you so much about stalking, doesn't it? It teaches you everything you need to know. You just need to make a bunch of mistakes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the you, quickest way to the quickest way to learn and become a better bow hunter is just get out there and do it. You know. Yeah, and the more stocks you can earn, and the more opportunities opportunities you can get, it just teaches you what you can get away with and what you can't, and it kind of teaches you how to get rid of those the your reckless nature, and it teaches you, you know, okay, I don't want to stalk during this wind in the morning. I want to wait, or it, you know, I know that I can't get close enough, and I can't move in this opening because if I do, he's going to see me. And and you just learn those hard lessons. But I think it's good, like every time you fail at a stalk, is to just take a look at it and go, you know, what went wrong there? What could have I done better? Could have I been more patient and sit back? And it's amazing if if you just if you don't go on that stalk. You know, that buck will eventually put himself in a bad spot or that bull will. Just the longer you can play the game with your trophy animal that you're chasing, the more apt he is to make a mistake and then you can capitalize instead of trying to force something. Yeah, forcing it never seems to have panned out for me. And I think, you know, a lot of times even if you can get, you know, if the stock's not set up, well, the situation's not set up for a good stock, you know, I think, even if you could move in closer and get, um, you know, at a comfortable range where you're not going to spook the animal or whatever, get as close as you can safely and not reckless and just wait for the cards to be dealt a little different. You know, maybe the table's going to turn. Maybe that buck is going to get up and he's going to move his bed and he's going to, you know, move in a better position or heck, maybe he's going to get up and feed right toward you. Man, you're so right. Yeah. Um, so that's a good point too. If you see the buck you want, even if he's in the, the wide open or if he's not in a good spot to stalk him, like you say, use that terrain and get closer and get within striking distance and then just play that patient game and let that buck make that last mistake. Yeah. The best part if you're in striking distance like that is once he makes a mistake, there's no wasted time. You can just get in and, and, and be right on top of his failure. So 
Yeah, uh, capitalize on it. Yeah, because when you're glassing from like two hours away, those bucks always make mistakes, but you're not close enough to make a move on them. It's going to take you so long to get to them. But it, don't you just watch bucks from a long ways off and go, gosh, I just wish I was right there. I could kill him right now, but it's going to take me too long to get there. Yep, yep. He's definitely going to move his bed by the time I get there, and I'm going to lose him as I drop across this canyon to get over there, you know? Yeah, it's so the truth. Yep, for sure. Well, You've just been super successful on on mule deer, well, all game animals, really. Um, I I just can't tell you how impressed I am because I know you're all, um, you know, do it yourself, self guided, and and it's all public lands. It is tough to be consistently successful on public lands, and and you've just killed some bomber bucks over the years. Um, and, and now you know your bow exclusive. All those big bucks that I've seen you with have been with your bow, and and all those bulls you've killed. But uh, I just have a ton of respect for what you've done and what you've learned and and it's it's wild we're we're two different bow hunters you know halfway across the country i guess we're only a state apart but we have so many similarities in how we kill these big deer how we kill these big elk you know every time you make a point i go yeah well that's what i do too and and it it seems like the same thing with you it's just wild how we have the the same techniques and tendencies and and bow hunting i think has just taught us this over the years yeah uh (laughs) I think you're right. I just think, you know, trial and error and remembering those little things that have made you successful over the years, you know. I mean, just by sitting back and analyzing when a stop goes wrong and, and, and see what you went wrong and try to learn for next time, you know. It's just like when I called that bull in, I knew not to sit in front of that tree because I knew earlier in my hunting career i sat behind a tree and ended up blowing an opportunity because i put myself in that situation you know and i learned and i should have moved on but i didn't you know a lot of times just like with the wind you know you're like it's your only option and you know the wind is probably bad so you force it well then what do you do it it never works just like it <laughs> it, it, it never has in the past and then the next thing you know you got to go find new bucks because you've blown them out of that canyon you know right how many times do you have to learn the same lesson before it sticks and it seems like quite a few and you you keep making mistakes but you get better at it and you make fewer and fewer of them but no you're right like i i have played this game i can't i can't tell you how many animals i suck so the wind will be bad but there's a ridge line, and, and you love to stalk when a ridge line will just hide your entire approach to that animal, and you're going to pop over the ridge and shoot him. And, and maybe it's just like a quartering bad wind. You know, it's it's blowing over the ridge, but maybe it's kind of blowing left to right, and you just think, well, that buck or that bull is going to be down below off that ridge. You know, the thermals, it's going to carry my scent off that ridge. And even though the wind's just a little shaky, I'm going to go for it because I know I can get there without him knowing that. And I'm going to pop over the top. I think my scent's going to carry off, or I think I can play low on the ridge and have it carry. And I can't tell you how many times I've screwed up that stock to where now I just finally know better. It's like even if he's in the perfect spot, if the wind isn't right, you're not going to kill him. Yep, uh, you're definitely better just waiting it out. And, you know, half the battle is finding, um, you know, especially as you've progressed, is finding an animal that you really want to go after, especially on public land. So you find that buck that you want to kill. You find that bull you want to kill. Be patient. He'll make a mistake. And, you know, even even if the situation's not perfect, but you can you can safely get at a safe distance and wait for the you know, wait for the thing, the tables to turn a little bit, you know, that they're going to make a mistake that that bull's going to 
feet over the top of the ridge and you're going to be 120 yards out and you're going to be able to close that gap as soon as those antler tips go over the top of that ridge and you're going to pop over the top and you're going to get that shot you know you can't you can't capitalize on opportunities by being timid i mean you need to be you know uh you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I, I totally know what you're saying. Um, yeah, be aggressive but not reckless. Uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You put that in a post. I think I stole that quote from you. But yeah, aggressive but not reckless. And, and um, because you can sit back and like I've found a giant 200-inch deer that I want to kill and I'll sit back and watch him and maybe I've got a 10-day hunt and I'll sit back and I'll watch him three, four days go by, five days go by, and I'm just still watching the buck and I'm waiting for like this perfect scenario to prevent it to present itself and and you just end up wasting a lot of time that way and then when you do finally get a chance at the buck you spook him out and then you burn five days you know trying to stalk him so you know you you do have to be patient and you do want to make the right moves on the buck but you can play it way too patient um you got to hunt aggressively too and you got to take chances that they come and and if he's in a decent spot for a stalk or if there is a an opportunity for a stalk you got to take it or I, i like your approach too where um you know you stalk in and you get in close and and you wait for maybe the buck to make a mistake or things to move or you try to guess where he's going to come out feeding that night and maybe set up on that feeding feature you know you just you just try to try to be playing the game and and make sure you're not being too patient because you'll never kill a buck if you don't try to kill him yep Yep. Have you played things too patient before when you found a giant deer and you're almost afraid to make a mistake and, and you almost play them too patient? I've done that a lot. It seems like, especially if it's a, a super giant, it's like I put that buck up on a pedestal like it's this impossible thing to kill. And I, it seems like a lot of times I put this added pressure on myself, which just makes the whole matter a lot worse. You know, if... if uh Looking back on a lot of the, especially the bigger bucks that I've found, you know, um, I think if it's not, just like you say, you're afraid to blow that deer up, so you're not, you're not stalking aggressively, and I think it's just a happy medium where you need to be aggressive, but you need to be patient and not reckless. That's ex- exactly it, so. Yep, it's a fine line, isn't it? <laughs> Well, and you cross it different ways. Sometimes you're too passive and sometimes you're too aggressive, but it, it is. It's a happy medium. It's a fine line that you got to try to find. And, and like you say, those big bucks, when you find them, um, you, you just got to go hunt, you know, uh, uh, like a, a fighter's meant to fight and he does his best work when he's in the middle of the fight. And, and me, I do my best work when I'm hunting and I'm trying to kill that buck, you know. And so, yeah, you just got to get in the hunt. And like you say, never recklessly. If things aren't right, you have to wait. And you, you may have to wait a day on them or whatever but you know i very very rarely now will wait more than a day or two to stalk a buck if he's there i'm gonna wait for the opportunity wait for it to present itself but i'm gonna try to kill him yep yeah and a lot of times you know especially if you're sitting back and you think that it's not a good opportunity maybe you think the lay of the land you know you're not going to be able to approach that buck it's in the wide open well you close that gap well next thing you know there's a low rise right there that you can get behind, you know, and 
and you know maybe the wind isn't what you're thinking it was you know so yeah it can be different on the other side of the hill or over a ridge or you know where it it can be doing different things once you get over there and like you say things change the buck gets up and he moves and you know if you're across the draw and you're not in striking distance he can get up and move and move to a perfect position where if you're there and on him in striking distance just like we talked about then you can capitalize when he does make that mistake Yep. yep. And and one thing I, I think it really just helps you feel like you're a part, you're involved, you know. It, um when you just sit back it just seems like you're like gosh, I'm just watching this deer, you know. But you get in a position where in striking distance where you can safely, you know, wait it out and maybe wait out his feeding route or maybe that buck's going to move his bed and go into a better position. At least that way you feel more involved. Yeah, you're in the hunt. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. So um, when you're when you're trying to find um, bucks or bulls, and I know it's kind of different, you know, depending on on which species you're hunting. Um, but what approaches do you take to hunt animals? I mean, I know you know you're getting off the roads and putting in miles like I am, and you're trying to find these basins where where people aren't going to. But do you like to set up? like on a single vantage point or do you like to to move throughout the day do you set up in the morning and then cover country or what's a typical day of hunting for you and i know it differs between which season it is but i'm just wondering like uh, what's your approach to to locating you know big animals or finding animals um i would say i mean the first thing is i'm going to do is get on google earth and and find some areas that i think um are bucky to me you know and then I'm going to travel mainly by ridgeline and and get up where I have good vantage points and I can see in all them basins and all them avalanche shoots and cuts where them bucks are going to be. And, you know, um, especially early season, you know, those bucks are going to be in the more open, open country. So, you know, you're going to be glassing in the, the high sagebrush, you know, um, the tops of the the basins where there's, you know, some scattered pine trees, that kind of thing, where there's a good bedding area, and you know, just covering country and 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 just really letting my glass do the work. Yep. So you'll you'll pick out drainages that you want to look at, and then you focus on getting to those drainages and looking in those things in the morning. And you're you're looking at your best buckiest spots, you know, when they're moving in the morning and trying to catch them in there. And and it may be you know one vantage point that you've scoped out in a basin that's going to give you the best vantage point, but it may be like the top of the rim where you'll peek over in one spot and look, and maybe you don't see what you're looking for. Maybe you see one, and then you'll tuck back over, go down the ridge, pop over in another spot, look at that drainage. Um, at least that's kind of how I go about it. Sounds like that's how you do too. Yeah, to me that sounds that's that's pretty much the most effective way that I've learned to do it. You know, other than you know, unless I'm hunting out of state, you know, I've usually put a lot of time in early, so I know where those deer are going to be, and you know, I know their habits, I know where they're feeding, you know, I know their bedding areas, that kind of thing, but. Out of state, you know, it's you can't always go down there and and spend a bunch of time scouting, or you maybe you won't don't make it in there at all. So, just finding an area and covering country and uh, using your glass and just hunting smart and effectively, I think, 
is, uh, I mean, the highest success for sure. Well, and it's the same thing as we were talking about stalking, where experienced stalking is king. Well, the same thing goes for locating deer and locating elk. It's almost like this feeling or instincts you have, right? And so you go to, I love being on a master vantage point where I can just see the world where it's like, I don't need to move from this spot. I'm going to see deer here. But you just... You kind of get to a vantage point and you look and you kind of dictate how long you sit there and when you're going to move by kind of what you're seeing, how many deer you're seeing. Maybe you you do start to pick out bucks and you go, man, this is a bucky base and I'm, I'm going to sit right here and look it over. Or maybe you see a few smaller ones or a group of smaller bucks and you look around for a while and give it a half hour, give it 40 minutes, don't see what you're looking for. You know, then it's time you just get this feeling that it's like, man, you know, the buck I'm looking for isn't living in here. I- I'm going to make it to the next one while I still got morning light and maybe the next one I'll, I'll catch that buck in, you know. So it, it's just kind of like stalking where just experience is king, experience in finding deer, experience in finding elk, trusting your instincts, I think is king when you're looking for them. Yep. You know, I, I, it's funny. A lot of guys seem to be really technical on how they do things. You know, I'm going to glass this basin at this time and I'm going to do that. You know, I don't, I don't always seem to go off that approach. You know, I mean, it's just like Google Earth. I don't have any magic recipes. I just, I get on there and I find areas that I like and areas that I think will hold deer. And then, you know, it's just putting in the footwork and, and covering country and just letting, you know, just, being smart about it you know yeah and some of those spots pan out and some of them don't right you pick out all yep. these spots on google earth and you know that look good and sometimes the the spot you thought was the best isn't but just over the ridge is where the bucks like but again it just comes with experience in google earth like like uh guys want to know what to look for and you know there there's certain traits you look for in certain country whether it's open bold basins you know glacial fed valleys that grow good green grass maybe it's cover you know certain ridge lines going down you know wh- whatever it is you know there's a bunch of things to look for for but again it's kind of just experience of picking these spots going into those areas finding deer and then once you start to find deer in an area that's where google earth really starts to pay dividends because then you can transpose you know that east slope with that you know with the with the way that basin lays out and the cover there you can look two ridges down and you'll see that same thing and go well there was bucks there there's got to be bucks two ridges over and so again it's just experience uh, scouting and getting in there finding bucks and then transposing what you learn into more country yep Uh, i absolutely agree there i also think you know just um being able to or just being willing to adapt you know if if you're not finding what you're looking for you know cover country and and just be willing to move from backup plan to backup plan i think if you put all your eggs in one basket and go into an area and you just think you know right off the bat you're not seeing what you're wanting to see and you cover in country and cover in country and the critters just aren't there you know it's probably in your best interest just to pick up and go to plan b you know maybe that's hiking back to your pickup and moving a whole mountain range you know oh you're so right yeah backup plans having a plan does so much for your mindset because it's like when you get on these hunts 
they always seems like they're they're tougher than you expect even if you have them scouted or whatever the case is it's always going to throw hurdles in front of you and if you don't have a backup plan or, or something you know to go to all of a sudden your confidence is rattled and you're rattled and it's easy to give up at that time where you're right if you've just got plan a plan b plan c plan d and you've got a couple of those spots scouted or at least looked at them on maps you know where your access points are if you can know a next plan well then i can just keep my feet moving and i can go to the next plan and go look for deer in there and eventually one of those spots is going to pan out yep yep for sure um well yeah thanks a bunch travis like i say i'll try to i gotta edit these things together and get everything done but i think we finally did it we got a podcast done even with the internet interruption but I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Like guys like you is is the reason I started this podcast and just visiting with you, you know, I learned so much. So, you know, I I know our listeners are too. Um uh like I say I I'm just thrilled to have these conversations with you and love to have you on again. Um I know you got just a couple more weekends for that Idaho buck, so I'm I'm pulling for you down there. Uh make sure you get narrow in a good one. Well, I'll be uh giving it all I have. So, I, I appreciate you let me come on the podcast and chat a little bit it's always nice to sit back and talk hunting so yeah for sure and again um for everybody out there those rimrock stalkers um those things will make you a better stalker those things are just unbelievable i know i love my pair um and i'm gonna kill a bunch more deer in the ones that that i have and i i know you will too but it, it's a great product go check it out it's rimrock stalkers um and then uh where can guys find you uh instagram the best place to find you yeah, Instagram's probably the best place. Um, just Travis underscore Nowatney. Or if you're interested in um, my stock and shoes, you can check them out at rimrock.com, which is R-I-M-R-O-K. And, uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook as well, so. Yep, right on, man. Well, um, yeah, thanks again. Uh, uh, yeah, good luck on that buck. And, and uh, yeah, I hope to get a picture here in the next couple weeks of a monster. I know that hopefully that snow gets them migrating and gets them moving. But uh, I'm pulling for you, buddy, so just keep after them. Thanks a lot, Brian. Yep. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Well, we'll talk to you later. Bye.